Welcome to the E3 Collective Podcast. Today I have Kay Devereaux on. She is an early childhood special education consultant. Um, and this is a pretty fitting conversation as my four kids, all under three years old, are trying to go to bed. So um, listeners, uh, you know how it goes. Um, if, <laughs> if you hear any background noise, um, please feel free to ignore that. Uh, you know my editing skills are not quite up to par yet. So, um, but we are super excited to have Katie on. Uh, she has a great background and uh, has really great information to share with our, our listeners from uh, the college students who are listening to parents to other professionals. So Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Um, early yeah. childhood special education is really a passion of mine. So um, when you gave me this opportunity, I could not pass it up. And this is such a fascinating uh, time of life. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's so pivotal and so foundational uh, to really everything that happens uh, after this early childhood stage. Uh, so I, I'm really fascinated uh, with how you got into this, this age group. You know, where, where did you start and how did you get here? Yeah, so, so I went to Warper College uh, for my undergrad. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I come from a long line of teachers. Um, my parents aren't teachers, but I have lots of aunts, uncles, um, siblings. So um, teaching was always kind of in the background, but not forefront. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. Um, I was pretty involved with the Special Olympics. They had um, a United Sports Day at Warburg. And it started, um, it, it made me think about, you know, that might be an avenue I wanted to go down. So I talked with my advisor and actually we came up with an individualized major because at that point I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher or not. Um, so I did kind of birth to death, all abilities and disabilities. I took psychology courses. I took education courses, um, PE courses for, uh, you know, adaptive um, it was awesome. And then it came time to graduate and, um, I had gone to a practicum at River Hill school in Cedar Falls and worked with some little kids and I just fell in love with it. And so, um, before I graduated from Warburg, I applied to UNI to their master, um, educator of early childhood special education program, got in and, I mean, the rest is history. I absolutely love working with little kids. Um, I've worked for 11 years in early childhood special ed. I've had a classroom of my own. I taught in a self-contained classroom. I have done early access services and then most recently more three to five services. So um, I kind of have that whole range of birth to five and I, I really like it all. I enjoy the differences that happen at each age level, um, and it's it brings something new every day. Yeah, and so with with that experience, as, especially with birth to five, what are some of the big uh, rocks that you have as far as uh, supporting families, supporting children, uh, really through that that birth to five age? Yeah, so you know, a lot of times when we're working with families, birth to three, uh, they're they're um, working with people in early access services. So people might be coming into their home. It's very family oriented. So it's um, the family helps decide goals that kiddos might be working on. 
Um, they, when early access is provided, that means that um, a child shows a 25% delay in an area. Um, that could be an academic area or cognitive, motor, communication, adaptive behavior. Um, so what's, what's interesting about birth to three is that it's very family oriented. And then we kind of have a switch from three to five. When children turn three, they're not eligible for those services anymore. And so that's when generally an evaluation takes place um, to see if children are eligible for special education services. So what's important about our role is these families are going from a very family-centered program into something that's more educationally based. So a lot of explaining about how things look different. And while yes, they're still the biggest part of the, of the team, things are not as family-centered as they were in early access services. So there's so many different little kind of nooks and crannies to birth to five because there's some kids that receive um, early access services that don't go on to receive special education services. Um, there's a lot of kids that we see that didn't receive early access services um, and then they come to us in preschool and um, we begin identifying needs and supports that they need. So um, we work with different providers to see, um, you know, when we're looking at what um, developmental milestones kids are hitting. Um, we try to do our best to work with any outside providers that are working with families as well to accommodate that. Um, but that also gets tricky in early childhood purely because the education model and the medical model are a little bit different. Um, so we don't necessarily look for a, a medical diagnosis. We're looking for impact in education. Another really important part of birth to five I think is just exposing parents to what special education is. We're so lucky that we get to be the first ones for a lot of these families, but it's also a really tough road for a lot of families. Um, lots of tough conversations, um, but I have kept in touch with many of the families that I've worked with over the years because you do build that long lasting relationship when you're working with their children so at such a young age. Yeah, and I can um, personally attest to the value of the early access services. Uh, so um, my boys uh, received uh, speech services, um, plug for Terry Suter. Uh, Terry, you're the best. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and, but it was, um, it was definitely a very pivotal moment for our family. We knew the boys were uh, behind in their speech and, and communication. And we, you know, I, we were very fortunate. My mom does early access for Keystone. And uh, so I, and I was a, a special ed teacher. So I was very familiar with the AEA and, and, and some of those pieces. But um, you know, we finally got to the point where it's like, okay, let's just put in a referral. And, you know, when we started working uh, with Terry and then also Melissa Sanders, she's, she's awesome also. So they are, they are a very awesome team. Um, but, uh, you know, without early intervention, uh, first of all, we would have never have known to even go and get um, tubes put in, which made 100% mm -hmm. difference with our boys. And 
you know, because usually, you know, you, you go into your well child and, and we have great, you know, pediatricians, but, um, you know, they just make sure there's no ear infection, anything like that. Um, and we would never have known to go in and get a, a hearing screening um, mm -hmm. and then get referred to the ENT. So there's that, but then also, so uh, just the level of support that we received, not only in our, in our home, but also in our daycare setting, um, our, our one son, um, you know, not only was speech and communication um, a struggle, but behavior was becoming a major struggle just because he could not, you know, he was just having a hard time communicating what he needed and wanted. And, um, you know, he, his frustrations just turned into behavior. And what we, you know, through that support, you know, we had a lot of great changes at daycare, a lot of great changes at home. Um, and so for those um, who are, are listening, if you are ever unsure, um, you know, certainly talk with your, your medical provider and your healthcare provider and, and ask those questions. But as a parent, you can also do the self-referral for early access. Um, it's, uh, with your local AEA, um, you can go on their website, you can do a self-referral, and they'll contact you. Katie, it's, 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 it's a pretty short time frame. I mean, they got back to us pretty quickly. Yeah, it's usually within 48 hours that we need to make, try to make contact with a family. Yeah, and it was, it was really quick. Um, and the, the self-referral is, is short and easy. Um, it, it's, so if you have any questions, it doesn't hurt to do a, a self-referral. And, you know, if, if they don't qualify, that's okay, then you know. But, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, that early intervention piece is so key. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. The sooner that we can get in and support families, daycare providers, um, anything like that, it, it's so much more beneficial for the kids. And like you said, with the speech delay, um, when you think maybe if that wouldn't have been caught until they were four and in preschool or five and in kindergarten, um, that's a lot of time that we could have been working on some skills. So yeah, any, any parent out there that has any concerns, I would, I would always recommend put the referral in the, you know, What's the worst that can happen? Your kid might qualify, they might not qualify, um, but at least you had somebody come and get another set of eyes on the on the kid. Yeah, absolutely, and and I, and I think too, um, you know, everyone that I've ever worked with as a teacher and, and also as a parent, and then um, Allison Schwab, who's um, also one of our our co-founders. Um, you know, when, when she talks about her daughters, uh, bottom line is everyone we've ever worked with. Um, are, is very willing to work with it with everybody else. Um, Allison talks all the time about, uh, you know, all of her, all the, the service providers um, from, you know, the AEA to um, the, the United Speech Clinic to EDI to um, Balanced Autism, um, ABA Services, uh, um, and then some other ones. You know, she, she, she talks about, you know, everyone is willing to come to the table and work together and really talk about how can we all bring our strengths to the table and our different approaches and create the best scenario for um, the girls. And so I, that's the other piece too, is don't, don't worry about the professionals working together. That's their job and everyone wants what's best for the kids. Yes, definitely. And, and like I had said before, it's important for us to work with those outside providers because we want um, whatever services are in place for that kid to be fluent throughout their day. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's part of our job to work with the other professionals and, and dig deeper into what, um, what kids need, 
um, what those needs look like in various settings because ultimately we want kids to be able to generalize their learning from one setting to the next. Yeah, absolutely. And so over your your career from you know beginning as a early childhood special educator now to a consultant, mm -hmm. um, you know, has any of your practices or philosophies or perspectives changed? Yeah, I would say um, when I first started teaching, it was I had very I you know I was advocating for the kids, um, but I didn't have that family piece. Um, I, while I worked with the families, it wasn't, um, I guess my bond with the families maybe wasn't as strong as it is now. And I would say really what, what changed that was when I worked in early access, I can, I can remember working with, um, a family for almost two full years and, um, we were getting ready to transition into preschool, which is, um, called part B. So if, if you as parents ever hear a, a kiddo's transitioning from part C, which is early access to part B, that's what it means. Um, so this family, we were getting ready to have um, an eligibility meeting and a potential initial IEP meeting. Um, and, you know, we talked about adaptive behavior and, and what, what preschool could look like uh, for this little guy. And the mom turned to me and, and she said, um, you know, he's going to be in, he's going to be in other hands. And I said, he's going to be in great hands though. And then she said, um, I said, what other concerns do you have? And she said, um, will my son ever have friends? And that I think was a really big turning point for me that this isn't, oh, this isn't even just about the kids. Like this is, this is really big stuff for families to go through as well. Um, and we had a nice conversation about, of course, of course he will have friends. While it might look different than our friends, he will have friends. Um, so I would say that was, that was definitely a, a needed change into my own practice, just really being able to focus into on, on what families need. You know, sometimes they just need to be heard. Um, they want to know that their voice, um, that what they're saying matters and, and that they will have a piece of, you know, their child's individualized plan. Um, it's hard to go into meetings sometimes. There's so much jargon that's thrown around. And I think um, as, you know, over the last 11 years of, of being in early childhood special education, that's another area that I feel like I'm getting so much better at and I have a lot more to do but I'm getting a lot better at explaining to families what things mean um, making sure that they're an active part of medians and not just sitting there nodding their heads because they have so much important information to give so I would say that's one of the biggest perspective changes that I've had and now being a mom um, of two kids of my own just thinking about what would I want? What, if I was sitting in that meeting, what would I expect? Um, what would I want teachers to ask of me? What would I hope that they, they took away from, you know, the information I had to offer? So it's really just um, being more family focused. And while the plan is for the child, we have to understand, especially in early childhood, a lot of our families are still going through a grieving process. Um, they may have gotten a diagnosis. Um, they may not know what that diagnosis really means yet for their child. Um, so for us to be 
active participants with the family and understanding that, yes, they might be grieving, to not overwhelm with a lot of heavy information, to be good listeners. Um, that's something that I probably was lacking when I first started teaching because you go into teaching to teach um, and those are some of the things you just learn along the way. Yeah, and uh, you know, Allison Schwab actually just brought that up to me, you know, a, a couple weeks ago and, and we had a conversation about the grieving process and you know, as a teacher, I had heard about it and I had understood it on a very surface level. Um, but as she talked about it, it was, it really hit home like, wow, like now I get what you're saying. And now that I have kids, it, it just made more sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, those were the pieces that I, I too wish I had a better, um, uh, perspective and handle on when I was teaching just to have a, a deeper understanding of, of that process also yeah. you know and, and I, I worked at the middle school level um, so you know the most of my parents had been through IEP means for years um, but you know they still they still were processing some stuff and there was also and now I get it as a parent but there was the piece of okay we want you to we, we want to know that you know what you're doing but mm -hmm. at the end of the day we want to know that our kid is taken care of and cared about and valued and you know that was that was a big piece for me too that evolved during my career yeah yeah i would say um you know in talking about that grieving process a little bit some, you know, I said some of our parents are just recently getting a diagnosis and then we're talking about eligibility for special education services. And so many people think special education, well, that's, that's forever, you know, that, that's until they're 21 maybe. Um, so not only do they go through that grieving process, but now we're putting all these other things on top and we're saying, but they need this support and they might need this support and we're gonna put this in place. And so they're grieving and getting all this overwhelming information. So it's, it's just important for us to make sure that the parents really understand what's going on, that they're an active participant, um, that they can meaningfully participate, um, and that we're really using parent-friendly language when we're talking um, with our families so that they're understanding everything and, that, and know that we're understanding and that we're trying to do what's um, best for their child as well. Yeah, and in in one of our previous conversations, we had a conversation about really one of your big passion areas is IEP meetings and the IEP process, and really supporting parents through that process. Can you talk about that current passion area and what you're working on as a you know personal and professional development, and really just go into detail on on some of those pieces. Yeah, so yeah, I had talked a little bit about how there's the transition from early access into um, early childhood special education. So um, there's a transition meeting that happens or an um, eligibility determination meeting. And the language in those meetings just get, it gets very heavy because we're talking about whether or not a child um, will qualify for special education services. So in, when I first started sitting through those meetings, um, my first year as a consultant, I remember looking at my social worker partner 
And I thought, I don't know what you just said. And I am fully educated in early childhood special education. Um, and I remember after that meeting, sitting down and saying, I don't, I don't know that they understood any of that. If I didn't get it, did they? And that's kind of what sparked my passion for trying to provide families with a more friendly eligibility and potential initial IEP meeting um, or annual reviews that happen every year thereafter. Um, but you know, we start looking at the paperwork and we talk about strengths and preferences and we talk about what parents have for concerns. The first part of those IEP meetings is generally pretty parent friendly. When you think about we're asking for maybe address and um, like what their child likes to do outside of school. But then we start digging into goals and goals for kids. We talk about um, there's what kind of minutes they need for specially designed instruction, what that specially designed instruction is going to look like. And I think a lot of times that's where we start overwhelming parents. Um, especially in early childhood, we talk a lot about developmental progressions. You know, that's what we're looking at. We have standards just like K-12 does, but they're, um, they're more based on developmental opportunities than they are like educational. They're still educational, but um, they're less rigid maybe than K-12 standards are. So, when we're talking to parents about maybe adaptive needs and whether kids can follow directions, um, just using language that they understand. I was talking to a mom the other day and um, I said, we were talking about adaptive behavior and she said, she kept saying, yep, yep, yep. And at the end of our phone call, she said, I don't know what that means. And I said, I'm so sorry. I should have done a better job of explaining what that means to you. Adaptive behavior, um, are the skills that a child needs in order to access their education. So it might mean transitioning throughout the classroom. It might mean um, following directions. It might mean persisting at a task when, um, when they're given a direction to maybe put a puzzle together um, or go to a specific center. So making sure that we're really breaking things down and being parent friendly, because if that mom wouldn't have asked, I would have assumed. Um, and, I, and I've learned that I can't just assume. And I would, I would say that goes for a majority of our parents. Um, I think sometimes we think parents that are highly educated just understand what we're talking about. Um, and they too, this is, this is a really big moment. It's a lot of information. We still need to use parent friendly um, vocabulary when we're talking through the IEP. Um, you know, after the goals, we really talk about trans, um, whether or not kids are eligible for transportation and, and what assessments look like and placement opportunities. And that's really another thing that I, um, I am passionate about is, is looking at a child's least restrictive environment. I know, um, that obviously most districts, that, that's their game plan. We always wanna serve kids in their least restrictive environment where, where they're with their peers as much as they can be. Um, research shows that they, even when we don't think kids are participating meaningfully, um, when they're exposed to peers, they likely are. Um, so I like to have those conversations with parents as well. Um, you know, some see a self-contained classroom that's 
that's a special education teacher and, and maybe, you know, five or six students, and they think, wow, how great, it's one-on-one, -on -one. that's perfect. Um, and self-contained is great for some kids, but when we think about communication opportunities, um, sometimes that's a better fit in a general education room or an inclusive classroom. So making sure that parents understand um, like the continuum of services that are available to them via the district, um, whichever district they reside in, um, every district has um, a different continuum of services, but just letting them know, you know, one setting might not be a great fit, one might be a better fit or a culmination of the two might be the perfect fit. Um, and, and parents don't always understand that. I've, I've been in meetings, several meetings where I've had parents say, I'll, well, I had special education services and I don't want the, that stigma on my kid because I know what it's like. So it's having conversations with parents about, you know, the hope that special education looks different now and that we're really just trying to provide what the student needs. And that might mean that they're, they're with their peers all the time, um, but that there's some accommodations that are, that are occurring in that. Um, so having those conversations too with parents that have a very negative um, outlook on what special education services are, because really what we're trying to do is provide and create an environment where all kids have the opportunity to learn and succeed. Um, that's our ultimate goal. So if, if you had, you know, one or, one or two big takeaway points for parents, what would those items be? Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I, sitting in those IEP meetings or eligibility meetings or, or even just meetings with other professionals, sometimes you can read it on parents' faces. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me as a professional. But always ask questions. If you're unsure, it's their right as a parent to call another meeting, to say, you know, that, that's a lot of information for me to take in today. I'd like to stop. Let's pause. Let's reschedule. Let's hold another meeting. Um, I think that's important for parents to know that they can do that at any time. Just because we're calling something an IEP meeting doesn't mean we have to sit there for two hours and um, hash out all the fine details. If they're overwhelmed, if they have questions, if you know, if they need to, if they want to talk to an outside provider, just ask. Um, I would rather have them ask during a meeting than at the end say, I don't, I don't know anything that you were talking about. Like, I would rather clarify as we go on. So that would really be a big one. Ask questions and don't be afraid um, to pause a meeting. The second one I would say is just never stop advocating for your own child. You know, if the team is discussing something that, that maybe doesn't sit right or you think, gosh, you know, maybe a different goal would be more helpful, speak up. You're the parent. Um, parents know our kids best. We take a lot of great information from our parents. So I don't ever want parents to feel like they're less of a professional because they're the parent in the room. They are, um, they know the most about their child and, and we're outsiders looking in. 
So any and all information they have to share about their child is beneficial. Even if it's something as, as small as my kid likes Power Rangers, that can be really beneficial when we're looking at, you know, counting, because maybe we use Power Rangers then to help support, um, you know, one-to-one -one correspondence. So those would be my two things. Keep advocating for your child and don't be afraid to ask questions. And those two things are extremely powerful. And the more we can empower parents, uh, the, the better service providers can be, uh, the better opportunities that kids can have. And really it just creates the best working relationship possible. Uh, so I, I, I agree, those two are um, such powerful pieces for parents. Uh, so for you, what are your next areas, uh, you know, professionally, uh, you know, either interest or where do you want to, you know, go next professionally? What are your goals? Yeah, so I think right now um, in my current position, it's just really looking at, at making sure we're providing the best services to families and students. Um, but ultimately, I'm also uh, just diving into getting my administrative license. And I would love to do more with early childhood special education in the future, whether it's from a supervisor standpoint, a principal standpoint. Um, I just want to make sure that not only am I providing what I feel like is a very family-friendly, um, seamless process to our families and our students, but I want to make sure that, that other providers are as well, including our teachers. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the next steps for me. Um, but that may change too. I, as I learn more and as I work more with families, um, I, I always have different takeaways. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the path I'm on right now. I see myself in early childhood special education for a really long time, uh, just because, like I said, I, I like building that relationship with families. I think it's exciting that, that I get to be their first step, that I get to shape what they might think special education is. Um, I really value that about my position. So, <clears throat> you know, right now I'm happy doing what I'm doing and, and making sure our families are happy, but, but ultimately I would like to make a bigger impact on the world world of early childhood special education.